We're so grateful to be back in the house of the Lord again this week. Grateful to be able to celebrate um, with you all together. Um, This is such a critical time that we're spending together every week. And this in particular is such a critical sermon that we're going to be able to hear today. And so I want to implore everyone, you know, let's give the word our undivided attention. Let us not be distracted. Let us not be thinking about things at home or what's going on. Let us not be looking at our phones, but let's really hear the word of God today because what we're going to hear is imperative. Now, I know it tends to be the case that as we're working through an Old Testament book, we would think, what is Old Testament? You know, how much relevance does this have to us and with us today? But this particular scripture has so much impact on what we know about God, what we believe about God. And so, again, I want to stress to you, you know, make sure that you are present as you listen to this. So last week we talked about just the very holiness of God. And we looked at how God's great holiness actually causes him in moments to respond to our sins. It is, in fact, our sinfulness that actually fixes, as we talked about last week, this gulf between us and God. Now, God's working, however, is clearly seen and shown to us as he causes all of creation to be inevitably subject to himself. We all have moments in our lives where we can say that something was obviously the hand of God. I know we all have had those moments where we can say that was obviously the working of God. And in those moments, what we saw causes us to respond. And when we do, we must do so in a way that honors God. Now, the lens we look through directly impacts what we think is happening. Everybody that you ever meet is wearing a certain colored lens. And so they're going to interpret things that happen through their own lens. Have you ever been in the same room with people and you all witness an event and somehow you all have a different perspective regarding that event? That's because everyone has a different interpretation of what happened. Well, depending on where you are in life, depending on where you are with God, That is shaping how you perceive what is happening. What we believe about God affects how we see what God is doing, but it also affects how we respond. So we're going to go today to 1 Samuel, and we're going to look at chapter 6. And I just want you to know, you know, God is moving. God is operating. God is doing things in the world. And if we are not where we're supposed to be, we're missing what he's doing. Our relationship or the lack thereof is causing us to miss that God is obviously showing us who he is. This is what it says. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what we shall, what, what, what we shall send it to its place. They said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be shown to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, 
five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and your lords. You must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you and your gods in your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home, away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in a box, at, put a box at its side, the golden figures of gold, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a good offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us, that it happened by coincidence. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their, their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua, Beth Shemesh, and stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a good offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden mice according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled cities. The great stone beside which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they look upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the, up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they, and they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
as we get ready to get into the word, God, we thank you that you have all of us. God, you have all of our attention. You have all of our lives in the palm of your hand. And so, Lord, we pray that um, as we listen and watch and read about how you're moving, that it will not be beyond our understanding, that it will not be beyond our reason, that we'll know that we are here to know who you are, that we are here to see what you are doing and to know how we are to respond to what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, all right, that's probably the longest singular passage I have ever read at one point in the church. But I promise you, y'all are building your biblical literacy because I've realized most of us are not reading our Bibles probably the way we should. We're probably not in the scriptures the way we should. So as we work through books of the Bible, we are actually building our biblical literacy. But it's not just that we're building our biblical literacy. We're also learning about who God is. So we are, you know, if you've noticed, we're still dealing with this ark situation. We're still wrestling with that. But it doesn't seem to be getting resolved. The ark we see is still sitting among the Philistines, and we have seen that it is wreaking havoc. So it has been a period of about seven months, and at this point, the Philistines are like, get this thing out of here. We don't want the ark around us. It has caused us afflictions. We have had famine. We have had tumors. We want it gone. But see, the problem is, is they know that if they just try to get rid of it in any condition, that's also probably going to cause them even worse harm. So they're really caught in between a rock and a hard place. We don't want it here, but we don't want to touch it. We don't want to do the wrong thing as to offend God. And I mean, you really can't blame them. I do find it a little admirable that even in their disbelief of God being the true God, they show more reverence for who God is than sometimes the Israelites. They show more reverence to the God of Israel than sometimes we Christians do. But the ark is sitting there among them, and they want to get rid of it, but they're wrestling because they don't know how to do it. You know, These are the kind of eggshells that we tend to walk on when we know enough about God, but when we are not in a position to actually do anything about it. You know, I had the the privilege of listening to the sermon that happened in this pulpit this morning. Nevertheless, that the man who was preaching forgot my name. Um, That's not significant or important. I won't say who it is. His initials are Mike Jones. Um, But one of the things that he said, which is a true thing that is happening in our world, and the Bible told us that in the last days that there will be people who would have a form of godliness, but those who would deny his power. This is actually what the people here have, not those who, do, who know God, but it's the people like the Philistines who have a knowledge of God, They have a reverence for God, but they don't have the power of God within them. They lack the true conviction that a real believer has. And so they're wrestling. They're on these eggshells about what is going on in their world and in their life. And they're doing what we tend to do. As opposed to going directly to God in order to know what to do, they end up resulting to their own spiritual sources in order to determine what to do with God. 
Every one of us has seen events in our lives. Every one of us has seen God move and do things in our lives and in the world. And as opposed to pursuing God as a result of those things, we try to decide the way we should respond. And it's usually in our own power. But I want to show you something in Proverbs. This is what we call a warning from Scripture. In Proverbs 1 and 23, which I do think, you know, it, it is a bit ironic when we read things like this because we're reading it, but we're, we're not always listening. We're not always heeding it. He says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. This is what God is saying. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Listen, God is warning that there is a heavy price for not listening and heeding his word. There comes at a great cost when we have been subjected to hearing the word of God, knowing the truth about God and ignoring it. Listen, let's rationalize this. The Bible makes it clear. We are all born in the same spiritual condition. It doesn't matter where you're born, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what gender. We are all born in the same spiritual condition, and that is apart from God. We are all born with one destination in mind, and that is that we are headed straight for hell, as my grandmother would say, with gasoline draws on. We are all headed straight for hell. But unless there is a Savior who comes and intervenes, we have no chance. Now, I want you to rationalize this in your mind. If people who have never heard the gospel... If people who don't go to church, if people who don't hear the word are held accountable for the word, how much more are we held accountable when we came to church and heard the word every single week? How much more accountable like Tamara and Anthony and others who were grown up through a private school and heard the word every single day? How much more accountable are we when we can see the very evidence and the working of God and pass it off as an accident? Pass it off as chance. When God does something miraculous, something immaculate, I think we all know pretty quickly that that was God. And that's what gives God a discernible quality that we don't find in the counterfeits. Last week, we talked about them knowing that when Uzzah died, that there was no denying that that was God. But you see, this is the problem. I want us all to hear this as clearly as possible. It is not enough for us to be able to identify the fact that God is moving if we're not responding to how God is moving. Congratulations if you know that God is moving. 
James said, you believe God is one. Good job. Even the demons believe and shudder. Congratulations. Give yourself an applause. You know that God is moving. Absolutely. But how is God's moving causing a repentant act in your life? How is the moving and operating of God changing who you are? Or are you hardened and callous to it like the world? In this text in Proverbs, he says that because you have ignored what I've shown you, because you have not heeded my words, because you have not listened, you will now see calamity. And that calamity you see, I will laugh at. He says, I will be the one who mocks you because you have attempted to mock me. How do we mock God? We mock God all the time, or at least we attempt to, specifically those of us who claim to be believers. Those of us who think that somehow our service to God will cause him to ignore the lives that we live. Those of us who think that we can render anything to God and think that because we are who we are, that he is actually letting us slide. To think that we cannot subject our lives to him, yet continue to pretend and give this facade that we know him. No. See, now you think, but God has not done anything. I'm escaping the judgment of God, but you are fooled. Because what does the Bible say? I quoted last week. You better not be deceived. (laughs) You might be mocked, but God is not. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. And my only advice to you is, you better sow into his harvest. Because there is a time when the reaper is coming. God isn't mocked. He will not be mocked. What else would mock him? That someone would sow into their own gods. That we would sow into our own lives, our own desires, our own flesh, our hidden sins, and think that we are okay. That we would see the hand of God and think that there is no penalty for ignoring it, for not responding to him. When the Philistines see their affliction, they should have gone to God on their face and said, whoa, Uh, We realize now that you are not like our little gods. You ain't nothing like Baal. You are not like Dagon. You flipped him over. You made the statue bow to you. You cut his hands off. You know what? You gave us tumors. You ate all our food. You you are God. (laughs) That should have been a response. We fall before you in repentance. But they don't do that. They want to put God, the God of the Israel, of Israel, to the test. They want to see if he really is as powerful as he seems to be. Is he really responsible for all that happened? Now, why is that a little ironic? You would say, well, they lack perspective, but they actually don't. Let me tell you how we know they don't lack perspective. Look at what they said. Why should you harden your hearts? As the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he had dealt severely with them. Did they not send the people away and they departed? Listen to this. 
They're going to put God to a test to say, all right, let's make sure that really is God. Let's make sure he really is that powerful. But then they say, but we've already seen what he's done to the Egyptians. We already saw how he handled Pharaoh. Is that not enough? Look at what they do to test him. The first thing they do is continue to try to meet him with their works. They try to give God this sympathetic offering, hoping that God will respond favorably to them. And we may look, how stupid of them. But how many of us have come into pulpits and tried to preach our sins away? How many have tried to tithe our sins away? How many have tried to sing and play our sins away and hope because, God, I'm offering this service to you, you're going to ignore the fact that you don't really know me? It's not how it works. We wish it worked that way. They say, let us make golden replicas of our bulls, our tumors, and mice. And they come up with this test for God. I'll read the test to you again. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows at the cart. But take their calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put it in a box at its side, the golden figures of, in the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that this is not the hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. Now, most of us probably don't have much experience with cows, okay? So the test, when you first read it, when you first hear about it, it doesn't really make sense, but let me explain it. These were two cows that had calves that had never carried a load or yoke before. And so these people here, knowing the typical behavior, knew that they were not going to keep going if they had not done this before and if their calves were behind them. And so they reasoned that if they can keep going, this has to be an act of the Lord and not coincidence. And that's exactly what happens. They go in a straight line. Now, I want you to think about this. This is a really, really trivial way to judge whether or not the Lord is moving. We just talked about his holiness over the past few weeks. Yet what a simple, almost idiotic way to put God to the test. We are told to not test God, right? So how in the world are they getting away with this? Because they're not testing God to disprove him. They want to know with certainty that this is, in fact, God. Sure, maybe we think they had enough evidence, but let's not pretend that we never had enough evidence and still did what we wanted to do anyway. Let's not pretend we all haven't asked God for a sign for something we knew we weren't supposed to be doing in the first place. Let's not pretend like we never went to the dealership knowing that we were 10,000 upside down in our car wanting a brand new car to get from up under it and pray before we went in, Lord, if you, if you just decline it and I'll know that you don't want me to get this car. 
and we go right in there and we apply, we apply for that car that we can't afford with, at that interest rate that we cannot afford. And you know what happens? Decline. And what do we do? We say, thank you, Lord. We say, can you run it through a few more? We do it all the time. We ask God for a sign, but then we don't respond to what God is showing us. We've asked for signs all the time about trivial stuff like that, yet God is still gracious towards us, just as he was with these people. And we probably think, oh, wow, God is not going to show himself in such a trivial way. He's not going to respond to that. Who, is, who, is, who are these people? God is God. He doesn't have to prove himself. And what happens? Those cows go straight to Beth Shemesh, and they do not stop. And I want you to look at what happens when, when they get there. We start to get what appears to be this erratic behavior from God again. It says, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua, Beth Shemesh, and stopped there. A great stone was there and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a good offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonged to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day, in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of them, some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. So let me get this straight. So we, we can understand. Because we're building biblical literacy, but I still don't understand this God guy. The Philistines... <laughs> who don't even know God, get the same treatment as the Israelites. Uzzah was killed when he put the ark on the back of some cows, yet the Philistines live. They fare just fine. What in the world, when we read this, what is God doing? Look at what they eventually do when they get the ark, though, because I think this is a key to it. They take the ark... And they place it on a stone that was already there as a possible place of remembrance for where they offered other sacrifices. They kill the cows and offer them to the Lord. They take the ark and place it on the great stone. But then they mess up. They took the pagan offerings and the same place they had worshipped God, they put the pagan offering. And why is this such a big deal? Because they know that those are pagan offerings. They know that they don't believe in the true God. And they know the power of their God. And they even know the history of Israelites mixing their worship with the worship of pagans. And you know what they did? They accepted it anyway. 
This mixing of pagan belief was like slapping God in the face. Yes, we know that you're the true God, but you're not that much bigger than these other gods. Considering how they had seen that God had demonstrated his power and holiness, this was a slap in the face of God. And I know what you think. You think, you know, people in the ancient world, well, they were dumb, right? They wouldn't know God if he walked up to them and said, hey, I'm God. We, though, we know much better. They know nothing about when God is moving. But if we saw God move so clearly, we would know exactly how to respond. See, they're more susceptible to idol worship, but we, we aren't. We would fall on our face before God if we saw such things. Would we, though? On September 11th, 2001, did we look at the judgment of God on us? Did we say, let us fall on our face before him, or did we blame terrorists and the responsible parties? When a hurricane sunk the city of New Orleans, Did we say, look at what God has done. Let us fall on our face before him. Or did we say the levers were breached? The government was killing our people again. See, even if you said it at the time, which some people said it, yes, there was this great flight back to church. But there was no long-standing repentance. Let me ask you this. If you read in the Bible that for over two years, disease and pestilence swept over the world for a period of two years, that six million people died as a result, and the majority of the people went on about their lives because they were so desperate to return to normalcy and their idols that the churches were not full after the event, but that they were empty. What would you say? You say, what fools? How could they so clearly miss what God was doing? Jesus told us. He says, you can look up to the sky and you can discern not just what the weather would be like, but you can even tell what season it is. Yet somehow, you can't tell and discern the sign of the times. See, the problem isn't just that we know about what God is doing, but it's not having a repentant impact on our lives. We have just joined in doing what the rest of the world is doing. See, the Israelites should have known what the Philistines were learning. They should have known that God should not be treated lightly. We should have known on September 11th that God should not be treated lightly. We should have known during Hurricane Katrina. We should have known during this time that God is unlike any other God. And these churches should have been packed, not with unbelievers, but with believers. But you know what we did? We took our ball. And we went home. 
God is to not be treated lightly. And if he has not made it clear in your life before, for me in the last two years, he has made it clear. He is not sharing his glory with anybody else. Call it COVID, call it an attack, call it whatever you want. I call it God. But we still look to other sources of truth. As I close, I'm going to share this story that Bill Payne told me. Y'all know Bill. Bill's still kicking. Bill told me about this story once about witching for water. Now, I don't know. Some of y'all country folks probably know what witching, witching is. Uncle Paul, you know what witching, witching, witching for water is. Now, I don't know if you've, anybody else ever heard the term, but witching for water is when you take these two metal rods that are at a 90-degree angle, and they're long. And all you do is you hold them out. And whatever you are looking for, they're supposed to cross. There's no science behind it, by the way. Bill was watching some, some men looking for some underground power lines one day. And he sees all these men out here. These are engineers, right? And they're all witching. And they keep coming to this same spot and and they keep crossing. They said the wires are right there. And sure enough, they started to dig, and the underground wires were right where those rods crossed. Now, Bill is a geologist, so he knows there is no science to this. There's no way that should be happening. And so he tells them, he said, give me those rods. And so he walks, he gets them, and Bill told him, he said, I clenched those things as hard as I could. And I walked to where those power lines were. He said, I could not stop them from crossing. He said, but I knew. He, he said, this ain't right. And so he said, he walked back to the same spot and he prayed. He said, Lord, if this isn't from you, don't let it happen again. And he walked back to that same spot and they stayed straight as can be. Now, of course, when I heard that, you know, I did some research. And witching comes from ancient spiritism. Why do you think it's called witching? Because there is no science. It's forces. It's evil. It's wickedness. And people are using this as an exact science. But you know what it did for Bill? It didn't convince him of the strength of those gods, of the demonic powers. He went back, and he didn't go to that. He went back to God. And when he saw that, he said, uh-uh. I know the God that I serve. And you alone, he said, I didn't have the power to stop what was happening. But he did. And he walked back there. And he left that day. He said there was no denying the power of God. Over the past few years, we have clearly, we have clearly seen God move. How have we responded? How have we changed? Has it led? I mean, I want you to each one of you look into your lives individually. 
Every one of us knows somebody that has died within the last few years specifically because of COVID. Every single one of us. Every single one of us knows somebody who got sick because of it. That wasn't the enemy. Don't you give to Satan what is God's. Has it caused us to look at ourselves and turn back to God and fall on our face and worship him as the true God? Or have we just turned back in on ourselves? Listen, all I want is I don't want you to get lost in the shuffle. I don't want you to get lost in what's happening in life and not think that there's a God that we need to respond to. Y'all, we have a God who is active. We have a God who is moving. And my only advice to you is don't ignore him. Don't ignore him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the word. God, it is clear to us that you are all powerful. You are perfect. You are holy. You are mighty. God, we revere you. We honor you. We laud you. We extol you. We exalt you. There is no God like you. There is none next to you. There is none beneath you. There is none above you. Is you and no one else. God, you have shown us who you are. You have made clear your power and your presence. God, break our hearts. Break our stony hearts in the ways that we so callously look at life and respond to what you're doing. Take our hearts of stone and break them, God. God, turn them into hearts of flesh that bleed, that bleed for you, that long and yearn after you. God, are you and you alone, by the word of your power, are holding this whole operation together. God, don't let us miss the signs. God, I don't want to be one of the ones who is declaring his righteous works before you, who is saying about all the sermons that were preached, all the people that were discipled, but that I ignored everything that you were doing. God, I don't want anybody who sat in these pews to say, but I went and I heard the word every week, but I didn't respond to it. God, I I sung every week. I played every week, but I didn't respond to you. God, help us see you in what you're doing, but help us respond in a true, sincere, and repentant way. There is no God like you. And God, we pray there is anybody in this room who does not know you. I I, I can't tell them they have tomorrow. 
I can't tell them they have an hour from now. This is the day. This is the time. This is the moment. That if they do not know you, this is the only moment they have. God, and I pray that you would reveal yourself. God, even if we have believers in the room who have not been as diligent as they should be, who have not been as pursuant of you as they should be, reignite a fire underneath them, God, so that they can serve you. God, help us see you. Help us know you. Help us respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.